0: Right, right, I'll invite you to take your seat this morning. So good. Wow, that just went away. Okay, all right. So good to see you this morning. Uh, if this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. Joy to have you in our house this morning. Uh, we're going to open the text of scripture in just a moment and preach a little bit and then come to the table. do some more praying together. Uh, but before we open the scriptures, I got to tell you, most of you probably know this, but this is my last Sunday with you before I head out on a little summer sabbatical. (laughs) Pastor Rory, I know, Pastor Rory said at the pre-service meeting, he was like, we're not really sure how we're all supposed to feel about that. Do we cheer or like, yeah, get out of here, man. But um, I'll just take whatever emotion feels authentic to you. I'll receive that and be nourished by it unless it's hatred and anger. Then I'm not going to because you can't. It's just so, but the sabbatical is such a wonderful thing. It's a gift that many churches have given pastors down through the ages. Here at New Life, we give pastors, ministry staff, actually all of our staff, uh, get periodicals, sabbaticals. And sabbatical, it's a biblical principle. One day in seven, we devote to rest. One year in seven in the Old Testament was devoted to rest. And then every seven of sevens, there was like this epic rest year. And so it's a biblical principle And uh, it's just a time to pull away, get some perspective, get refreshed. And so that's what we're doing. So I'm gone uh, all of June and all of July. Uh, We're gonna be doing some traveling. Mandy and I are headed to the UK in a couple days. And then uh, we're gonna go up to Wisconsin for a little bit. And then I got a trip to Uganda in July. And then we're finishing with a trip to Galveston, Texas on the beach, which is gonna be great. And then I will be back at the end of uh, July, beginning of August. Uh, which will be so wonderful. It would be great to see you again. So pray for us. Uh, pray for me just that it's a time of uh, rest and refreshment, replenishing. And uh, keep showing up for one another. I love the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And so you say, Pastor Andrew, what do you need from us this summer? Just keep showing up. For God and for one another, keep encouraging one another, and I cannot wait to step back in in August and to run together with you at all the things that God has for us. Amen? It is the day of Pentecost here, churches around the world celebrating the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been in this series on 1 John, uh, looking at John's thoughts on the Christian life. And so I'm going to take some thoughts that John has and pair them with Pentecost. As you know, that day there were 120 of them gathered in the upper room. And John, the young man, was among them. And so we're going to leverage some of John's thoughts uh, to think through what it might mean for us to encounter uh, the Holy Spirit in a deeper way. Here's the text of Scripture, Acts chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord. Luke writes this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen... After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. The way for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be, what's the text say there? Baptized with what? The Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. We give you thanks, O Lord our God, for bringing us together. Just like you did on the day of Pentecost, as Pastor Glenn Smith read. On the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together together. In one place, and then suddenly, just like that, something happened. And every time we gather together, at least I'm expecting a Pentecost because I think that the promise that you gave us, Lord Jesus, is true that wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. And you just are the Spirit giver, you are the one who pours out the Spirit upon us, and we're praying. For that, this morning, I was thinking as I was getting ready to preach, uh, there's nothing on this planet that I like better (laughs) than being with the people of God, singing praise to God, and hearing the scriptures read and preached, and then coming to the table. And we're so grateful for the way in which you nourish us in the beauty of holiness as we gather together. So we're thankful. We say this morning, Come, Holy Spirit. We say, Come, Holy Spirit. Some of us have never encountered you, God, the Holy Spirit, and I'm praying that this morning would be that. Some of us have been walking with you for 50 plus years, and still, even then, I say we have only scratched the surface of the knowledge of God. And I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that wherever we are, you would take us further into the depths, like Ezekiel walking across the river, and at some point it became a river that he couldn't cross, he just got swept away in the life-giving torrent of the Spirit, Of God, So we say, come and do that among us. We ask that the words of the preacher's mouth would be clear, compelling, and that the meditation of the hearer's hearts would be acceptable in your sight. The Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, he says, but wait for the gift that my my Father promised you, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized you, everybody say baptize. John baptized you in water. So, John gave you an immersive experience of water, but Jesus says that in a few days you will be what? Baptized in who? So, in the same way that John gave you an immersive experience of water, where the water touched and cleansed your whole being, so in a few days, Jesus says, you'll be baptized, you'll have an immersive experience. In God the Holy Spirit that will change your life. The question is, why would anybody ever want that? (laughs) Isn't it enough that we just kind of know that there's an all powerful deity out there, God the Father, and Jesus is raised from the dead, and isn't that wonderful? And then there's this third thing, you know, like I think about some of the old translations of the Bible. We say Holy Spirit, but the King James Version of the Bible says, calls the Holy Spirit the Holy, you might be able to finish it, the Holy Ghost. That sounds scary. Why would we want that, you know? But the encounter with the Holy Spirit does something very specific to us. And we named it in the creed when we read the creed just a little bit ago. Third stanza of the creed says that we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of what? Giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, He's worshiped and glorified. Well, why would the creed say that? The creed names the Holy Spirit as the one who is the Lord and the life giver. Because everywhere in the scriptures you look at the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit always has an intrinsic connection with life. Think about, for instance, the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 1, God has set up the whole heavens and the earth. And then Genesis chapter 2, we come to this scene where God the Father, the Creator, is fashioning human beings from the dust of the ground. You'll remember this. And so he takes the clay of the earth and he molds it together. But just by virtue of the fact that the creator has molded this clay, this dust together, it is not yet a human being. Do you remember what the text says? "Fashioned the man from the dust of the ground, and then what happened? <sighs> Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and at that moment, and not before, the man stands up and becomes a living being, which is why we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. Think about the psalmist. The psalmist says in Psalm 104, when you send forth your spirit, they, he's talking about all created things, they are created and you renew of the face, you renew the face of the ground. Where the spirit moves, things live. In the great promise of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47, that river that comes out from underneath the temple. Is a life giving stream. And Ezekiel actually says, or the Lord says to Ezekiel for his people, he says that where the river symbolizes the Holy Spirit, that where the river flows, everything will live. When the Spirit touches anything, that thing comes to life. John Calvin, the great reformer, said this that there is not a drop of vigor in us save what the Holy Spirit instills. There is not a drop of vigor in us, save what the Holy Spirit instills. So you ask the question, why would we ever want an experience of the Holy Spirit? The reason that we would want an experience, an immersive experience of the Spirit, is because that is the very thing that communicates the life of God to us and makes us the people that God intends us to be. Think about this, just to tie some of the threads together here. Think about in the book of Acts here. But these disciples who have been with Jesus for three years, they have seen the works that he did. They watched him put to de- be put to death on a Roman cross, right? And in so doing, he puts to death sin and death and the grave. He rises from the dead on the third day, triumphant over all the forces of darkness. And that experience of being in the same room with the resurrected Christ who now holds the keys to death and hell is still not enough for them. Jesus himself says to them, yeah, 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 it's actually for your good that I'm going away. So wait here for the gift that my father promised. For John baptized you in water and in a few days you'll be... Church, are you alive this morning? John baptized you with water and in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it's not until the church is plunged in the waters of the Spirit that it rises up and becomes that church triumphant that we have seen down through that the reason that we are sitting in this room is not just because the disciples saw the resurrected Christ but it's because of Pentecost because they were filled with the Holy Spirit that was the thing that changed their lives that's what the the, the thing that changed their lives and I know this because I've experienced it many of you that are in this room you've experienced that immersive experience of the Spirit that changes your life I being born and raised in church, I grew up in church, and I watched all of this stuff, these Sunday services that we have. I grew up around all this. I grew up around the preaching of the word, and I grew up around worship, and I grew up around a group with a group of people. Some of them were sitting in this room this morning, who believed in signs and wonders and miracles and speaking in tongues and all of that. I saw all of that, and, but you know, you don't receive the Holy Spirit by osmosis. It doesn't just sort of, the Spirit doesn't just kind of leak into you gradually, at some point, there has to be an interruptive experience that wakes you up to all that God has for you. And that experience for me happened in between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year. My eighth grade year, probably like many of you, was the single most disastrous year that I have had as a human being. It was a complete train wreck. My character went off the rails, my behavior went off the rails. I became a version of myself that I did not recognize, and most people around me did not recognize. And thanks be to God, by the severe mercy of the Lord, I got caught. And a whole bunch of stuff that I was doing that I should not have been doing. And I remember my parents, my mom and dad are here this morning. I remember my parents sitting down with me towards the end of my eighth grade year at the dinner table. And they laid no heavy punishment or condemnation on me. I remember them saying to me, you have a choice here. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be this like version of yourself that we don't recognize and you don't recognize and other people? Is that who you want to be or do you want to be something better, something truer? And I remember the conviction of God falling upon me. Who do I want to be? And I did some business with the Lord after that. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those stupid decisions. I'm sorry for those things that I did. I'm sorry that I was walking in darkness and not in light. But you know, just being sorry is not yet a full experience of God. And I remember going into that summer, and even though I had that contrite heart, I was repentant, I was sorrowful, there was still a breakthrough that needed to happen in my spirit. And I just remember, I can remember the sense of shame, the sense of embarrassment, a sense of self-loathing, really had constricted itself around my spirit, and I couldn't get through it. And I felt the leading of the Lord in between that, the eighth grade year and the ninth grade year, so that summer, I felt the leading of the Lord to go on a fast, the extended fast for the first time. I'd never really done it before. So it was a week-long fast. I'm going to seek the Lord and just kind of get some clarity. And I just... God, I need you. And I remember getting to day three or day four, and I was in my bedroom that day, and I felt this hunger for God rise up in a way that was really unusual. It was really unique. And so I got down on my knees by my bed, and I started praying in tongues. And when you're born and raised like I was, I am Pentecostal, charismatic, I have been praying in tongues since I think I was praying in English. I think I started praying in tongues actually before I said the sinner's prayer. So... I don't know how you suss that out in your theology, but that I had that and I'm so grateful for that gift. Because sometimes, you know, Paul talks about in Romans 8 that there are groanings that are inexpressible with words, but I think that sometimes praying in the spirit, it's a way of giving expression to the inexpressible. And I was kneeling down by, by my bed and I started praying in tongues and God is my witness. It could have been three minutes. It could have been 30 minutes. It could have been three hours. Time went out of mind. And as I was praying in the spirit, all of a sudden I felt all of that toxic grief and shame and embarrassment and self-loathing. I felt like God the spirit reached inside of my soul and started pulling all of that up by the roots. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this, but it was like, oh, it hurts so good. (laughs) I'm kneeling there by my bed, praying in the spirit weeping my eyes out, like mourning, like genuinely mourning from the very bottom of who I was. And there's this promise in the Old Testament that the mourning will actually be turned into dancing. And I will give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And somehow in that moment of grieving and mourning and wailing, there was like this... It was joy like I cannot express. All of a sudden, it's like, when does the dew fall at night? Who knows? But somehow you just look and it's there. And somehow, like, I turned this corner and it was this experience of God, an experience of joy, an experience of the Holy Spirit that I, I don't even have words for it. God. All this stuff that I'd seen and heard about and read about, all of a sudden it was not just, like, real in some intellectualized way, but it was real for me. It was an experience of God that changed everything. I love the words of the prophet Samuel, the Saul in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 10 and verse 6. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Do you know that's what God the Holy Spirit does? There's a new birth that happens. We become different human beings. And as I've journeyed with Jesus and I've Watched how God works around the world and throughout church history. I've seen that the common denominator with people that really know God is this that somewhere along the line they had an interruptive experience of God the Holy Spirit that changes everything. I remember being at a conference in London some years ago. It was this ecumenical conference, churches from different denominations and backgrounds and traditions all gathered together to celebrate the work of God the Holy Spirit. And there was a guy that got up, a Catholic priest in his 80s. He told about growing up in the Catholic Church and how he'd always wanted. To be a priest. And so when he got to be of age, he went to seminary and he started training for the priesthood. And in his twenties and thirties and forties, he was doing the work. Reading the scriptures, administering the sacraments, organizing the parish, all of that stuff. And he said, But I kind of knew that like something was missing, and I couldn't figure out what it was. He said, and then I was in a prayer meeting one day with this group of people that were really like they just they knew the Lord. And he said, and I'm in this prayer meeting and we're praying, and all of a sudden he said, That moment happened. And the Spirit of God fell upon me. He said, and all of a sudden, I started speaking in other tongues and prophesying. And all of a sudden, this God that I'd known and worshipped and believed in, this God that I had worked for, like I'm on your payroll, God, all of my life, all of a sudden, I knew him in a way that I did not know him before. And this guy went on to become appointed to be, think about this, the preacher, this in 1980, this happened. He became the preacher to the papal household. Do you know what that is? That's the guy that leads a chapel service in the Vatican for the Pope and preaches the gospel to the Pope every Friday. This guy's name is Raniero Cantalamessa. He's an Italian guy. He's still alive. And a tongue-talking charismatic has been preaching the gospel in the Vatican since 1980. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You go, well, the Catholic Church is full of sin and error. Show me the denomination that is not full of sin and error. And let it be the first to cast a stone. The only way that any of us overcome any kind of sin and error is by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says that when you get to Jerusalem, you stay there. And you wait for the gift that my Father has promised you. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days what will happen? You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, it changes your life. St. Isaac the Syrian described the experience of the Spirit like this. He said, Blessed is he who partakes of this wine of the Spirit. Licentious men have drunk this wine and become chaste. Sinners have drunk it and have forgotten the pathways of stumbling. Drunkards have drunk this wine and become fasters. The rich have drunk it and desired poverty. The poor have drunken and been enriched with the hope. The sick have drunken and become strong. The unlearned have taken it and become wise. Something happens. When we pass into the experience of the Spirit, the Spirit becomes everything that we need. And all of the places of deficiency in us, the Spirit starts shoring them up. Paul describes it in the text that we read earlier in the service. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, what are you going to do? Now, that comparison is an interesting comparison, isn't it? Those of you in this room, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you ever drunk too much, you lose some inhibitions, don't you? Those things that used to scare you don't scare you anymore, all of a sudden you're kind of tough, right? Talking smack about everybody. Don't get drunk on wine. You lose your inhibitions. You also kind of go out of your mind a little bit when you experience that. You drink too much. Paul does this thing. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You lose your moral sense. You lose your intellectual sense. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit. And what's going to happen? You're going to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference between wine and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit also will help you lose your inhibitions. And the Spirit also will help you become bolder. But the Spirit doesn't take you out of your mind. The Spirit puts you in your mind so that you're more yourself than you ever have been before. And so Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to all kinds of foolishness and wrecks our world. Instead, be what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you know what I love about this text? Paul doesn't put like an expiration date on that experience of being filled with the Spirit. I've been in the church long enough. I've heard the debates so often about like, okay, so let's talk theologically about where the experience of the Spirit fits and kind of the order of salvation and all of that. So you have, you know, you say the sinner's prayer and at that point you're justified or something like that. And then you go under the waters of baptism and then is, is there like, so is that like a second baptism? Is that what we're talking about? Like a second baptism and that's the baptism of the Spirit? And I just see, I've been in the church long enough, I've seen all the debate and the wrangling about this. You know, well, no, you get the Holy Spirit the moment you believe in Jesus and confess your faith in him and there's no subsequent experience. And other people say, but I had a subsequent experience. So what are you going to do with that? And Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. what the, Where is it? So what Paul says here is so interesting. In English, we say, be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what it actually says in the Greek? Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be being filled with the Spirit. Like, be continually filled with the Spirit. Like, you got baptized with the Spirit once, the moment you come up out of the waters and catch your breath, Why don't you go down again and again and again? And so you ask me, Andrew, do you believe in the second baptism? Oh, yes. And I believe in a third baptism and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. And I think that the Christian life is one long baptism in the spirit until we die or Jesus calls us into glory. That's what it is. That's what Paul says. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And by the uh, the way, the reason that he says that is because you can't do the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. The whole thing is powered by the Spirit. It's fueled by the Spirit. The Spirit is the energy of the life to come, resident in us so that we become all that God has made us to be. Which is why Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Joy, peace, patience, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control when the spirit occupies space in us boom that's when the life of the age to come comes in us so then you ask this question and with this we're going to start heading to communion how do we receive the Holy Spirit? I have a really complicated answer for you are you ready for this? you just ask watch what John says The same John who was there on the day of Pentecost. Watch what he says at the end of his little epistle. This, he says, is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, what happens? Church, don't mumble it. If we ask anything according to his will, what? He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what? We have the things that we you know that God wills nothing in your life more than this? That you would confess Jesus as Lord and then open up your heart to receive the Holy Spirit. So the way that you get filled with the Holy Spirit is you say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, I need you. I've been trying to do this without you. I've been trying to make it work without you. I, I, can, I can't. I'm, I'm out of, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And there is never a time that God doesn't honor that prayer. Because the moment we start praying the will of God, the will of God goes into motion in our lives. And so can you stand to your feet this morning, church? And I'm going to have us do something this morning by way of response. I'm going to have you take hands with the person next to you. If you're sitting in a row by yourself, just go find somebody around the room and just hold hands with them. We get filled by, with the Spirit just by asking. And some of you in this room, you have never had an experience of the Spirit before. You've never opened up your life to God, the Holy Spirit. you never opened up your heart to Jesus. You've never said yes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer this morning that's going to help all of us. And so as you're holding hands with the person next to you, I want you to pray this. Lord Jesus, the scripture says that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This morning I confess my need for you. Cleanse me, fill me, make me new. Holy Spirit, I welcome you, I receive you. This morning I pray Make me a child of God. And now here's the promise of the scriptures. (laughs) Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And John says, and that's what we are. And some of you in this room this morning, you prayed that for the first time. And I say to you this morning, welcome to the family. Can we give God thanks this morning? And we open up our hearts to you, Lord Jesus. We prepare to come to the table. We remember that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples. And you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup, saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. We'll do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of of me, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we look to you this morning. We ask that you would take bread and take cup, bless them, break them, give them to us, fill them with your Holy Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, that all of this would bring us into an experience of the triune God. Granted, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all that's people said. I'll invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. Communion will be on my right and my left up front here. You'll come down the center aisle, take the bread, dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. Brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.